So the big question is this, how do passionate golfers like you and I develop a stock shot day in and day out? A stock shot that's as reliable as the sun coming up in the morning. That's the question and this podcast is the answer. Welcome to Stock Shot Secrets. All right, everybody, I have maybe the greatest guest in the history of golf in my world to be on the Stock Shot Secrets. Um, a man that I look up to maybe more than anyone, well, actually, I know for a fact, more than anybody on planet Earth, except for maybe my father, um, Mr. Mike Bender. So, Mike, thank you so much for being here. How are you? Great, Kyle. Thanks. Yeah, that's uh, happy to be on the on the program and looking forward to chatting with you. Yes. I mean, for you, for you guys listening, um, just a hair of a backstory with Mike and I, basically everything that I know that is inside my brain, sometimes it's more than others, but everything I've got inside my brain from a teaching standpoint and just a life standpoint, business standpoint, you can make a very good um, argument that a lot of that all points back to Mike being the godfather of it all. So, um, if you like what you are learning from the golf room, you can really just thank Mike because it came from him, um, which is why I'm so thankful for everything. I mean, a massive influence in my life. I think I met you, Mike. I was actually looking at this. I think I texted you maybe the other day this. The first lesson was in March of 2011. So I was so I was three years after graduating college. Um, and what was interesting about it was and why you know God had worked it in such perfect timing is I had just left, a, like a little bit ago, had left a meeting with, luckily, with Jack Nicholas, And Jack Nicholas um, taught me and, and, and basically brought this idea of this, like, stock shot, which is why this thing's called, like, stock shot secrets, because, like, it's really, really important. So I'm sitting there, and I'm learning this thing from Jack, like, oh, my gosh, he's talking about this stock shot. He, he tells me a story in his house about how when he's on, I think it was the 17th hole at one of the U.S. Opens, he hit a shot that was against his shot stock shot pattern, and he was like, I and he made a double, and he's like, I win at that moment. I said, I'm never doing that again. I'm never going against my stock shot. I'm always going to hit the shot that I can rely upon on in pressure. And then that, so I'm kind of, I've got this story in my brain. Then one of our good friends, Jonathan Moore and Ben Boast, which this is the second time I've, I've mentioned Ben um, in, in, me, in helping me introduce the legends of golf, um, introducing me to the legends of golf, which is you. Um, and Stan Utley and others, is he introduced me to you. We get a lesson, and then that next, I get a lesson. We teach, talk about the stock shot, and I go on to shoot 23 under and 36 holes that four days later, and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is the way, the truth, and the life. Like, I have, I have, I have found it, right? I am here. So where was, like, for you, Mike, and I, we'll kind of start. I want to go back to the beginning, but since we're kind of talking about it, like, this, that whole idea of that first lesson, right, when you put the noodles out in front and you said, like, hey, this is the zone and, like, this is what you're trying to hit and you got the pulse and the stuff. Like, for you, like, I was introduced to it, like, in its first concept through Nicholas and then you validated it, taught it, like, did all that stuff. But for you, like, where did you, where did it come from for you, from you? Like, where did, where was your epiphany moment as, like, oh, I need to have this dependable shot that's always playing offense? Right. I mean, I think I think the thing is, is that it, it all stemmed off the – off the uh, saying, you know, you can't hit a ball straight. Right. You know, so if I can't hit a golf ball straight, which everybody's always trying to hit the ball straight, if you ask them what they want to do, they want to hit it straight to the target. You know, so, but if you can't do that, and even the best players in the world can't do that, 
then you then obviously we got to curve it. Yeah. The ball's going to curve to get to its target. And so, you know, and so, I mean, I remember growing up and I probably you remember this as well, but I mean, most people have been, uh, have heard over the years, you know, you want to eliminate one side of the golf course. And if you can eliminate one side of the golf course, then you're going to have more confidence because you're going to know where your ball isn't going to go. Mm-hmm. So the combination of trying to not, you know, work on not hitting it straight, eliminating half the golf course kind of made it paramount then to develop a swing shape that would produce a stock shot that, you know, that you could rely on and build confidence in and get better at. Yeah. Because everybody thinks they kind of, you know, as they get better at golf, they have this uh, Tiger Woods or Ben Hogan ideal where, you know, if the pin's to the right, I'm going to fade it. Or if it's a dog leg right, I'm going to fade it. If it's dog leg left, I'm going to hook it. And so they always think that the best players in the game move the ball both ways with, you know, at will. But the fact is they really can do that, but most don't play that way. Right. And, you know, me uh, having taught a major champion in Zach Johnson, I mean, I remember uh, asking him one time, I said, Zach, you know, you draw the ball. How many times in a tournament, 72 holes, will you try to hit a fade? And he says, I usually try to hit two or three fades in 72 holes. Yep. So, and so, and then another time he said he played his stock shot 93% of the time, which I, I thought, <laughs> how, how did you come up with 93%, right? right? right. And, 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 and then he said, I've got a knockdown shot, which I'll do some, and then I'll do a few there where I don't let it go the direction of my stock shot. So, you know, so anyway, uh, then when I played on the PGA tour, it was very, very evident. And back in those days, the balls are a lot different than they are now and they curve way more. So it even became more paramount back in those days that you had to really be able to curve your ball. And I, and I remember the first time when we talked about this, um, I had said what probably many of the listeners are thinking of like, well, right, but I want to hit it straight, so I'm going to hit it straight. So I pose. And, and what was so great about you is everything, every question that I ever asked, right, every question, there was always an answer. There was never not an answer. And every answer was so logical, and it, was, it, it made so much sense. I was like, yeah, that's it. So there was like no guessing, right? And I was so – you did such an amazing job of indoctrinating me as to like – this is the way, the truth, and the life. This is how it's done. And I remember asking you, and I go, Mike, what? why about the stock shot? And you go, well, listen, let me pose a question to you. And I, you go, where are most greens? How are most greens pitched? And I go, you go, I go back to front. And he goes, what kind of pot, What kind of putts do you like? I go, well, do you like right to lefters or left, left to righters? I go, well, right to left, like most right to right-handed golfers. He goes, great. So now you're going to hit a start, shot that starts right, curves left, doesn't overcurve the line, and you're going to be stuck with a bunch of eight-footers for birdie. You're welcome. <laughs> right? And then and then we talked about it, and at that same time, which was you were basically a fortune teller, I go, we started shoot, we started shooting the breeze, and I was, you're like, well, how many? And we're saying the same thing about how you're kind of always scaring the pin, right? Like it's always kind of going in like a wedge shot, starts a little right, Draws, hits three feet right of it, and then kind of hopefully spins back the hole. And you go, well, how many times have you holed out in hole in one? So I was like, never. He goes, get ready. You're going to have quite a few. And then I went on to have seven hole in ones in 23 months, which was like, <laughs> and I never had one up to that point. So yeah. so growing up, so kind of going back in time now, right? Like kind of start, start with stock shots. So, so, the, so the Mike Bender start, story started in Waterloo, right? The town of Waterloo, Iowa. Right. So can you tell us a little bit about just the backstory of of you in Iowa, right? At at, Sunnyside Country Club. Is that was that where you worked, played or grew up? 
Well, there there was a there was an old Sunnyside Country Club in Waterloo, which is where I started playing my golf. But um, I mean, I got into golf, you know, kind of through an unfortunate incident that turned out to be life changing, which was the divorce of my parents, and my mom moved out to California. So I went out to California with her, and the the arrangement was that I would come back and visit my dad in the summers and spend the whole summer. So. You know, the first summer back, coming back from California, you know, I'm my dad one day asked if I wanted to, you know, let you want to go fishing or play golf, and I go, let's go fishing. I mean, golf. Who, you know, that that didn't sound too good. I didn't even know anything about the sport or anything, so we we couldn't find any fishing equipment. He says, well, let's let's just here's an old set of clubs. Let's go play golf, and you can we'll we'll just try that. And, and how and old so, are you at this time? Twelve. Okay. So we go out to this par three course. And we start down the first hole and the pro comes out of the pro shop and he's yelling at us. And he said, Hey, you guys can't play golf with only one bag of clubs. So, uh, so my dad said, well, just, you just watch me play. So I followed him around for nine holes and watched him play golf. And I mean, he wasn't any good either at the sport, but, but it intrigued me so much. I mean, that night I went home, went to my uh, uh, cousin's house and got some clubs because they had some. And then I played golf after that every single day, the rest of the summer, and that was it. It was like, all I want to do is play golf. That's amazing. That's amazing. So that's kind of how I got into the game, uh, you know, and if it wasn't for that unfortunate incident, I probably would have never yeah. been in the business. God works in mysterious ways, right? There's a lot, nope. of, a lot of beauty that came through that. So so now you're 12, you're growing up, you're getting ready to go to college, have a good college career, right? I had a really great college career, yeah. I, you know, was fortunate to win the national championship in Division Three of the NCAAs. Yeah. I, I won or their team won every year that I was in college. And then I also won it uh, individually two years and then got to go to division one championships and finished third in that behind, uh, you know, or in front of Fred couples. And yeah. So cool. And, and, and when you back. were growing up, did you find that you were um, kind of circling back to, we'll say a little bit of the stock shop, but like, were you were you a technician back then? Like, were you filming swings and like, were you a range rat practicing, or were you just like, let me just go compete? Like, you know, I, I just want to compete. Just play, just play, just play, just play. Yeah, I had no idea about the golf swing. I all I wanted to do is shoot the lowest score I could. So, yep. you know, and and you know, I mean, back in those days, I mean, there's there's something said for not getting golf instruction because you kind of get tap into your feels yep. you tap into, you, you know, you hold the club face open if you're hooking it or, you know, you do all these crazy things to make the ball do what you want it to do. So I kind of think that was a, that was a good thing in, in the start of my, you know, my golfing career, so to speak, because I wasn't that technical, that technical stuff came later in, you know, obviously in my pursuit to try to get onto the PGA tour. Yeah. So, so, so you graduate, you have an amazing college career, then you get ready to, um, you, I remember, I I love the story a little bit. Well, one of them, and we don't need to go into it, but how you, at least from my recollection of memory is how you basically were doing impact station, half swings for a summer and you go, and then I did that. I worked on basically turn matching and folding and I get on tour the next year, right? And then you go on tour, and you have it. You're an amazing putter on tour, right? Yeah, I, I, I did. I was Bob Twain. And I, I mean, after two thirds of like, I think it was my first year. We were, I was leading a tour in putting. Yeah, and the stats are obviously way different now than then, but right. but so, yeah, that was always a strength of mine. Was that so? When was when did it? When was it that you started to learn? Let's say 
the truth about okay, like there's all these we'll say like false doctrines or these there's these different ideas of how to teach, right? Or what the golf swing is. Like when did you start to hone in on like this is the way? Well, I think that's been an evolution, really. But what's interesting is, you know, you sent me some questions and stuff, and I'm going over it, like, on my background and everything. And I started really thinking, and it really dawned on me how, you know, how timing of things make an amazing uh, difference also. Because <clears throat> because my first golf instruction was with uh, Ben Doyle out in California. Oh, wow. He happened to teach Bobby Clampett, and he and, and for those of you listening, Ben Doyle was the kind of the head guy or the number one person that taught the book, The Golfing Machine. And in my era, Bobby Clampett was like Jack Nicholas. I mean, in college, he was he won everything, and he yeah. he was, had a pure golf swing, and he was incredible. So I, I went to see his teacher, Ben Doyle, and that's where I got introduced to the Golfing Machine. And the Golfing Machine is based on physics and science. It's not based on one's interpretation of what they think the golf swing should be or or what people should do or whatever so and then from there i i went i, I out and of how college. old that was in college right yeah that was a, that was like i was a senior in college at that point maybe a, maybe might have been a junior but i just saw him sparingly and maybe a couple of times and then when i went to florida uh, i ended up in orlando because that's where the mini tour capital was and right about then is when David Ledbetter was becoming well known. Yeah. I had a couple of my mini tour friends that I you know, said, Hey, you gotta go see Ledbetter. This guy's really good. So so then I went down to see David Ledbetter. We used to do three hour sessions with him and Nick Price was there and yeah, Dennis Watson and all these great uh players that were already on the PGA tour. So so there again, I was a great byproduct of timing in the fact that, you know. I went to an area where Ledbetter, who is arguably one of the best all-time coaches ever, and mm-hmm. you know was there, and I got some um, tutelage under him. Yeah. And then fast forwarding a little bit more, when I got on the PGA Tour, I had a good friend Tom Seekman from Nebraska who was on the PGA Tour, and he he was really good buddies with Mac O'Grady, and so by hanging around him, I got introduced to Mac O'Grady, who, in my my opinion, you know. And even David Ledbetter said at one time, he said, nobody knows more about the golf swing than Mac O'Grady, but it doesn't necessarily make him a greatest teacher. But he, but so I was able to be around all these guys yeah. uh, that were really, you know, knew what they were doing and really knowledgeable in, in that, in the golf swing. And that's, I mean, it's, it's, it's cool to see a little bit of the similarities of our story in regards to like, you've had, as you're continuing to grow up and figure out this game of golf, you've got these legends of golf, right, that are like like Doyle and Ledbetter and Seekman and Tom Seekman and all these guys that are helping you. And it's the same thing like with, with myself, with, you know, I meet you and I got Stan Utley and then I got Pia Nielsen and Wynn Marriott and then James Seekman. I don't know if Tom and James are related. Maybe. They're br- yeah, brothers. Brothers, right? So, um, and it's interesting, like with that, I don't know if you saw this yesterday, but on Golf Digest, they've got like, they did a post. It's like the legends of the game, right? I mean, there's been thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of PGA professionals. And yet there's a legends of like 15 names and like three of them were on my team. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm just so blessed that, that, that to your point, like the timing of all of this stuff working out, right? Yeah. And one that I that I didn't even mention is in the summers, I would play mini tours in the Midwest. And that's where I ran into Mike Adams. Oh, geez. Yeah. And Mike, so I, uh, so I traveled with Mike Adams and he would, he was on, he was trying to play for a living, but he, he spent more of his time teaching us than he did playing. So, 
So if you look at that legends list, pretty much everybody that I was <laughs> under is on that list. Right. <laughs> you know, it's amazing how, how, uh, you know, God puts us in these places. And I was very, very fortunate. Now, it, this is kind of a little bit off the tough cuff question. Maybe we don't have to go into too much detail, but I would like, it would be interesting. Like maybe is, is there one little tidbit of like, if you look back on your time with like Doyle, and you look back on your time with like Mac, and you look back on your time with let's say Ledbetter. What would be one thing where you go, "Hey, this is one piece of like instruction piece that like I or coaching or whatever it was that like really when I think of them, I think of this." Uh, yeah, I mean, I there's certainly I could probably spend the rest of the time us talking about all the epiphanies that happened yeah. with Mac O'Grady. Yeah, uh, I thought David Ledbetter back in my day, really, uh, ever, you know, he he had a great model was staying nice and wide and really having a better pivot. And so, I, I mean, I picked up things from every one of those teachers, just like the line drill in the bunker that we use yeah. all the time. That came from Ben Doyle. Yeah. You know, thinking about impact. Ben Doyle was all about impact. Yeah. You know, so y- you learn and you pick up things from, you know, all these people, but the biggest influence bar none um, was Mac O'Grady because just from my perspective, his information from A to Z was, was just, I can't, I've never seen anything better to this day. And there's lots of ways to hit the golf ball and there's yeah. lots of ways to swing, but he made, he could shoot under par left-handed, right-handed and every single person that he helped their careers just took off. Right. right. So, you know, so that was kind of, you know, and ends ended up being my, you know, biggest mentor for sure. So, so as you're continuing to go, what about a little bit of the backstory? Because if anybody, well, you're, if you're listening to this, my guess is you probably have, have worked with the golf room or a golf room everywhere in some capacity and the massive amounts of feedback that we use from cones and noodles and swing guides and impact bags and all of that stuff, which is really a product of Mike introducing me to that stuff, right? Like I used some training aids growing up, but it was like a, a chalk line, right? So you really taught me the art of feedback, but even more so, can you talk a, bit, a, little, bit, a little bit about where feedback was introduced to you and then also how that evolution, how that, how that evolved into the invention essentially of the Megza? Right. And just yeah. that, that whole system of idea of practicing with feedback and, and your thoughts behind it. Well, this is an interesting story because um, when I first um, started working with David Ledbetter, he was the first guy that had video cameras. And so what I would do is I would take a lesson from him and then I would go out to the field that I was hitting balls at in Orlando and I would and I would work on the things that he told me to do. And then I and I, and not many people hit more balls or practiced harder than I did, and so then the following week I'd go back to Ledbetter again and I get on video, and it was incredible because I'd get back on the video and the video wouldn't look any different. <laughs> I mean, it had, I, but my feel was incredibly different. I go, man, this is unbelievable. It feels like I'm really doing what he wants me to do, and then yeah. I get on video and I would see that it wasn't right. Right. So this process went on for months, and I finally got so frustrated that I said. I'm wasting my time and I'm either going to quit or I'm going to prove to lead better in myself that I can make a swing change. So I started exaggerating like wildly exaggeration mm-hmm. to where I felt like it couldn't be possibly right. And then I started thinking about how can I know, you know, let's say, and at that time my left arm was too high. So 
I, you know, I, I came up with this idea. I stuck a shaft in my bag up by my right shoulder because I had seen that plane of glass that Ben Hogan had in his right. book and said, hey, I got to swing under that. That made sense. So I started doing things and inventing things like this to correct my problems. And all of a sudden, when I went back to Ledbetter, all of a sudden, my swing looked dramatically different. Yep. And what was interesting was, is when I, after my playing career and I started teaching, I found out that everyone was just like me. I thought it was just me. But everyone, I'd give a great lesson. They'd come back two weeks later. They'd get on the video, and it would look wouldn't look any different, yep. despite the fact that they practiced. So, so having feedback while you're swinging is just absolutely going to increase the um, or decrease the amount of time it's going to take to really improve. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it's amazing how fast someone can change their swing with feedback. I mean, literally moments. Like one swing, like when you yeah. can take a guy who is hitting a slice, who massive slice and have a stock draw in one, like one, two swings, right? Just by missing a noodle or whatever it may be. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. It's just, it's, it, it's crazy. The, um, what was I going to ask? The, um, I remember, oh yeah. So with, cause I, to, to your point, I remember going and I was practicing a talking stick and you and I had just started working together for we're going on probably like three months. And I remember Pian Lin walking up to me and I don't think they, they didn't know that you and I were working together yet. And I was one of like, I, you know, my love language is words of affirmation. So this is why it stuck in my heart is I was like, they came up to me and they're so nice. And they're like, Kyle, I just got to let you know that. And we were kind of working, we were working together like a little bit, like me and Pian Lin, but they're like, I've never seen someone change their golf swing as much as fast as you have all for the better. And I was like, <laughs> it was amazing. That's always good to hear. Yes, it was great. So, so you're doing all this stuff. Um, in 2009, you get ranked PGA Amer, you know, Teacher of the Year, which is the honor of honors, right, Mister PGA of America, which is great. Um, and what about like on your journey with that? You, another Waterloo guy, right? You you meet up with Zach. So, what about like when did Zach come into the Mike Bender ecosystem and that kind of journey of how it's kind of developed over the years? Because you guys are going on. I mean, gosh, it's got to be 20 something years, right? Right. Yeah. So 1999, sometimes we, we say 2000, right in that area. Um, he was, uh, Zach was, came to our golf course with four other guys. He was, he would come down to Orlando to play in the mini tours. They had rented an apartment near our golf course. And the golf course that I was at at that moment um, kind of was a semi-private club. And they, they didn't mind the fact that mini tours players came out there like some courses do in the winter down in Florida. They don't yep. really like them that much. But anyway, so he was out and he saw me teaching and working with good players. And, you know, he signed up, you know, for a lesson. And here's another, you know, kid with a really, really strong grip and mini tour <laughs> player. And I mean, he was from Iowa. So, right. you know, so we hit it off because I'm from Iowa and, and you know, he's just a lot younger. So I didn't know him or anything, but that's kind of how it got started. And we've been together ever since. It's 23 years now. And you know, we're down, you know, a few majors and a lot of tournament wins and yep. a lot of miles traveled. What about Delta. that? What about that? Was it, what about the story at, um, at, at, um, the John Deere the first time, was it the first, was that the first time you had, had caddied for him? Yes. Okay. So a little bit about that story. Well, yeah. So he, he said to me, uh, Hey Mike, uh, Damon Green, my caddy, qualified for the U.S. Senior Open, and he's going to be playing in that. What do you think maybe you caddy for me at John Deere? 
hometown. And he said that way. And he goes, because, you know, it'll probably give you a chance to listen to what I'm thinking or to, we have a good dialogue and, you know, we might learn something, both of us there. And I go, that'd be great. So about a week later, he talks to me and he says, Mike, I, I, you know, I'm kind of having second thoughts about the caddy thing. And I said, Hey, Zach, that's no problem. I mean, whatever you want to do. He says, well, I want you to caddy, but I don't, I don't think you can, I'm not so sure you can make it. <laughs> so I said, Mac, I said, here's the deal. I said, if you don't want a caddy, that's fine, but I'll, I'm going to, I'll make it no problem. Yeah. Right. Hey guys, I hope you are enjoying this episode of the stock shot secrets podcast. If you are enjoying it, be sure to like this episode, be sure to subscribe so you can always see when they're coming out. And most importantly, if you would be so kind to be able to share this podcast with other passionate golfers who are trying to get better and build stock shots because it grows through you sharing it. Thank you so much for tuning in. And now back to stock shot secrets. They, no one, no one can. If someone challenges you to anything, you're definitely gonna make sure you're doing it. You, yeah, and, you would crawl up the fairways with the, with it on your back if you had to. Exactly. And the first fairway, I was going down, and a John Deere, it's straight down, goes straight up, and I'm walking up the hill, and I'm thinking, man, this is a little bit harder than I thought. <laughs> <laughs> I said, but I, but it's amazing how that bag got lighter as the week went on. You yeah. know. So, yeah. So then yeah. he goes on, and then uh, he wins. He wins that week. Yeah, I had a I had a dream that we were going to win, and the first nine holes, though, he was like two over after seven. I'm going, this isn't in the dream. I mean, what are we doing here? So, did you? Uh, interesting question. Like when you were out there, because the role of a caddy is way different than a coach, right? And it kind of gets into the next question too. But how was the relationship on the course different than when it's on the lesson tee, right? Like, because you're you're basically you're having to put on a different hat, right? For sure. But I mean, I played on the PGA Tour, yeah. and I know what I know what players want, and I know how to caddy from a perspective of I know how to get yardages. Yeah, no, I know how to you know I just the decisions that you have to make, you know, if you've played the tour are gonna you know and 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 that's why he did so well with his caddy Damon Green because Damon Green was a phenomenal player as well, and and even to this day, if you look at the caddies on the PGA Tour, most of them played college golf and they're good players and stuff. So yeah. it really wasn't that hard to switch into that mode um, and, and just be able to be there for him and, and, you know, uh, yeah, just talk over. It's, it's interesting too. Cause like as, as Stan Utley put it, um, we had Stan on and, and it's interesting when you talk about teaching tour players, cause like the, the ramifications of what you're doing is are much better or much not better. They're so much more great. Right. So where at least like in my history of working with guys on the PGA tour, it's like every word has to be so calculated because if you say something and then like, it just goes in and let's just say they're kind of, they internalize it. It's like, it has to be so, cause it, cause they could have such ramifications to it. Right. Like I remember telling a tour player, he was trying to get him to kind of do a hit and hold, right? And I was like, yeah, like, you know, as it's going up, it kind of feels like it maybe finishes outside your right shoulder. And it was like three months later, he's like, Kyle, I can't finish this thing outside my right shoulder. Like, going up and out, like, basically the wall drew up the wall. I'm like, you can't actually do that. Like, that's not a real thing. It's just a, it's like an analogy, like it's a feel, right? And he's right. like, oh, I've been actually trying to do that. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like, it's <laughs> that's one of the exaggerations. So, but no. how, how do you find teaching, um... The teaching the amateurs relative to the plethora of tour guys that you're doing, like, do you is there a different way in how you teach a tour player compared to the amateur golfer? 
Well, I mean, obviously, there it's it, a lot of different communication. Tour players, you're it's like you're it's like um, finite. You know, you're 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 working with them on minor things, little things here and there. Where amateur golfers, you're working bigger picture, basically. And and so the other thing is, is the amateurs not making their living playing golf. So you have more freedom to exaggerate and get yeah. them to do things on a bigger way. And, and because you know, you're developing them, yeah. the tour players already developed. So what you're trying to do is get them to play the best they can play at that right at that week or that moment. So it's, it, it's quite a bit different. The language is way different and it's just the, the, the detail that you get into is just so much finer than it is with a amateur. Where do you find that? Like with the amateur golfers, the guys that are flying into to Orlando and they're seeing you and you're working with them. What do you find as, you know, if you were going to, if you're going to boil it down um, to, Hey, most amateurs, which was actually, I kind of probably understand probably where you're going, but most amateurs do these two or three things like this. It seems to be like a reoccurring, like if we were going to give something to the listener of like, there's probably a 99% chance you probably do this, <laughs> right? Like what would those be like one or two or three of them? Yeah. So, I mean, number one, uh, aiming is yes. simple. Aiming is people don't aim right. Yeah. And so if they aim poorly, they have to compensate to hit a good shot. Because I tell people, if you made a good swing with where you're aiming, the ball wouldn't go to your target and you wouldn't be happy. Yeah. Well, aiming is a huge deal. People overlook it all the time. They don't place enough value on it. Yep. So that'd be number one. And and then, you know, probably the biggest thing is the transition area of the golf swing. Yep. Because people try to use their stronger muscles of the upper body because because you're hooked to the club. So you create the triangle between the shoulders and the arms and the body feels strong and it feels like you should be able to hit it really hard and create lots of speed. But the fact is you got a quarter of a second from the top of the swing to impact. And if you're using those bigger, stronger muscles, which are slow, you're usually going to disrupt the swing plane. You're going to work really hard and not hit it as far as you should. And you're also going to be way more inconsistent. So those yeah. are the two I, biggest areas. Well, the, what's interesting is about that going even back to the first, the first lesson because people are always when I'm always on the lesson tee or t teaching, I go, listen, I'm working on the same thing I worked on with Mike in 2011. Like our stuff is our stuff, and I remember right. that first lesson. We you taught me the concept of the zone and like you you basically materialized what Jack had said. You taught me about alignment. Then we talked about back to the target. I remember going to Hammock Beach and like. The mirror was back here, and I was pumping my arms trying to keep my back to the target. And I remember the analogy to your point of what you had said. You go, hey, listen, Kyle, like a arm, a tank has a lot of horsepower, like thousands and thousands of horsepower, but it's really slow. A motorcycle is very, very fast, but it has less horsepower, whereas like your arms, right, can create a lot of speed in that zip. Like certainly your shoulders have a roll, but that is not where you're creating the quickness and the speed and the shallowing and all that stuff. And I was like, ah, and I remember we did this and I was like, oh, my gosh, this is going like 25 yards further and feels way easier. Right. Absolutely. So um, it's just amazing too, like how all the time that we had spent together, basically God was especially with you and Pia and Lynn and all and all the coaches I had. Basically, there was nothing, it, everything, it was so rich in my brain and everything had always stuck in my brain like glue. Like there was every sentence you had always said, it was like, what's he going to say next? Right. <laughs> so there's just, there was so much memory. There was me memory attached to it. So where do you see a little bit with like in regards of coaching, right? Because you've been, 
you know, you've 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 been teaching, you've been playing. Like, where do you see the game of golf going? Right, because it's way different now. And I, I would say this, maybe change it a little bit, like the game of golf, but also teaching. Like, where do you see that going into the future over the next? You know, if you've ever thought about that, like the next 10, 15, 20 years, the future of of the game. Well, I mean that the future of the game is that's a broad topic. Yeah. Maybe teaching of the um, game, but teaching, improving the teaching of the game. Well, first of all, that's that's a big deal. But if you think about it, I mean, we still use Ben Hogan, Sam Snead. We still use models and we use Parsons and talk about people swing from 50 to 100 years ago. Yeah. Right. Or whatever you want to say it. I mean, so the anatomy of the body isn't changing, at least that I know. And if we don't change this, the equipment that we use in terms of the way we, you know, the design of it or whatever, I think the golf swings, the golf swing. I think the the players today are way more athletic. They're way more stronger. They're doing uh, more exercises and things that back in my day, we thought were poor for us and that we thought would hurt us and all that other right. thing. And so, you know, so the game is is just like all other sports. I mean, look at all the sports. I mean, there's none of them that are, aren't getting, the athletes aren't getting bigger, stronger and all that. So, so I think that's going to just, you know, but there is a limit to some degree and they've limited the clubs and the balls and all that now. But, but in terms of teaching, I mean, the technology is, it's kind of like that. And we were talking about the amateur versus the pro what technology is doing is, is it's unlocking the finite areas in the golf swing and, and what the, how the body creates energy and all, and how you use in the ground, which is kind of the new buzzword these days or whatever. But having said that, um, there's still the principles of teaching I think today are going to, going to be the same in 10 years from now. I don't amen, think you're. Amen to that. You know what I mean? I mean, I because because you you're either on plane or you're off plane when you swing. Yeah. And, you know, and and you've got a club head and you've got a path, you've got a face angle that you've got to deal with, and you've got the lean of the shaft. So there's three major influences that make the golf ball fly. And sure, they can come in faster or whatever, but the idea behind it is, you know, there's going to be small changes here and there. And then the other thing, not to be too long winded here, but you see these different um, uh, models pop up and, you know, at one time it was the, and just going back to stack until it was a yeah. model, and then the one plane, the two plane. So you see these various things pop up that people gravitate to, but at the end of the day, they kind of all come back to the old fundamentals, you know, aiming well, yep. that swinging on plane, getting the hands in the right position at impact, controlling the club face. I mean, Things that I don't think are ever going to change unless they change the sport. Yeah, or human beings start to look different. They have three arms or something. But that's that's the beauty of like everything that you've that you've you know learned, taught is that to your point, it stands the test of time because physics are physics, right? You're not reinventing the wheel. You're just interpreting this is the way the world was created, and this is how an object goes fast around a fixed point, and to yeah. the point where which gives me as a teaching kind of like as the the next generation of the mic be of of benderized right what's been so cool for me on the tech side cuz we've got so much technology at the golf room and track bands and sports box and body tracks and like you know all these different things is that you know as god is my witness i have never been on a piece of technology that has 
that that has not bit that has I don't know if you would say disvalued, but like or it has gone against what you the principles that you had taught me as a player. Like everything that 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 you had taught me, the technology just validates. Even to the point it's like, okay, like we're gonna do a wall tap to like shorten our swing. So I'll like put a a K vest on and I'll, you know, with the biofeedback and I'll go up and it's like right when I get to 86 degrees, which is what it should be at the top with your shoulder turn. It's like the music plays. I was like, oh, so I don't need this fancy smancy vest. I just need a wall in my house. Got it. <laughs> right. So it's like, yeah. you know, this the it's kind of like you were almost ahead of your time, kind of like Ben Hogan of you had all this stuff. And then the technology came in and it just validated what you said. Right. Well, and I think I think we're going to we, we're getting better at. Um, helping people make changes. Yeah, uh, we're getting better at um, providing um, lots of different ways to make those changes. Whether you're on a machine or or whatever, I mean, so all that's going to continue to improve. Yeah, um, I think what what really is missing in the industry though is the way the ranges are are designed. Yeah, and the way the academies and the practice facilities are designed they don't um, necessarily um, provide the tools that you really need to play the game better because golf's the only sport that is not practiced on the field it's played on. Yeah. And so if we can create environments where we can train better and learn these different shots off uneven lies. Like, out the, of the, like the Seve station. <laughs> yeah. And we've got, we've got a Seve station where we hit through the trees and you hit them yeah. low slice and hook. And then, but I mean, how many ranges do you see rough on the range? Right. I mean, but how many golf courses don't have rough? They all do. Right. So, so just things like that. I mean, you mentioned the walls and things like that. Just training better, having feedback stations. I mean, if once once the general population understands what it really make, takes to make swing changes, then they're going to look at those things as that you we got to have that. Right. But right now, if you go to a driving range and you and you you experience this when you drug your cone down there and you had noodles in your bag and everybody's looking at that guy, look at that guy, he's tin cup, you know, he's, <laughs> you know, and you're laughing at them because you understand the concept, but they think you're a freak because you have all these training tools and everything. Yep. But you know who ends up with the best swing and who ends up hitting the best shot. So what do, what do you tell those, all those amateur golfers that come see you and they're like, because we actually have it like on a shirt, like. Leslie took a picture of me walking to talking stick. I think you've seen it. Like I've got, I had my right on line, my putting arc, my noodle in my, two noodles in my bag, my cone. I had my binder that you had given me like my, the manual and she's walking and she takes the picture from behind me, which is now on a t-shirt, which if you guys have probably seen this and she's taking it like, oh my gosh, this is my husband. What a tool. And I'm like, I know I'm that guy now, but it's amazing because my swing is changing. What is it that, how do you encourage that? amateur golfer who's coming and they're like, man, I know my swing is better when you put this noodle over my right shoulder or like on my hands or whatever. But like, I got to like, really? Like I'm going to go out to the range and do this. Well, I just, I just created a, a brochure that I hand every lesson now. And, and the brochure explains what the process is and why and how and why it's important to do that. So, because for me to educate each person in a lesson would take, I'd have to take a significant portion of my lesson to go through it. Right. But I also have some third party verification in there from some people that are a lot smarter than me on it. And so when people read this, what I'm doing is, is I'm effectively putting the ball in their court. Yep. 
And it's kind of like somebody who goes in and they want to lose weight and the person says, okay, you need to diet and you need to exercise, you do that. And this is exactly how you do it, by the way. And then they walk away and don't do it. So, you know, that old definition of insanity comes in, right? right? Doing things as you always do and expect different results. So, So basically, if people understand the process and what it takes, then then it's up to them. Do you really want to change? Because it's worth it. Why? Why is it worth it? Because you can play golf your whole life. Yeah. And playing good golf is fun. And the other thing is, is that, you know, like I'm 67 years old, but I still hit the ball further than I did when I was on the PGA tour. Thanks to club. I'm not going to lose distance very much all the way, unless I just quit playing or get hurt or something. But so the better you swing, and the more you, if you take the time to go through a swing change and you improve, you have it the rest of your life. Cause a good habit is just as easy to repeat as a bad one. Right. Amen. So that's why Amazing. it's worth it. So you got to understand it's worth it, but you also have to have a realistic understanding of what it actually takes because most people don't. Yeah. And, and I had a lesson about three months ago or whatever. And I said, just for the heck of it, I'm going to turn the camera on. I want to ask you a question. He goes, okay, no problem. I said, now that you know what to do, you've had this lesson, you, you feel like you got, you know what to do, right? He goes, yes, I got, I know exactly what I got to do. I said, how long do you think this is going to take? And he looks at me, kind of scratches his head. He goes, you know, I think I'll probably have this down in a couple of weeks. <laughs> <laughs> you, and you've been working on your changes since 2011. Right, right. right. And oh. I had a lot of balls. Right. But it's, but the, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and I remember, I remember the, uh, there was one time it was, it might've been our second lesson and we had gone, we had done the stuff and it, my, my swing had changed and I'd been playing better, but we had done it on camera. And to your point, you'd look and you go, man, it feels way different. And you're like, yeah, it's better, but it's, you know, you're still kind of dipping it out. And I was like, <laughs> okay. And then you go, and then you, you said something, which was great. And I mean, I appreciate it as a coach. You go, Hey, how much have you been using the feedback? And I was like, well, you know, I've been visualizing it. And you're like, well, that's why it hasn't changed. Like, so now you have two options, Kyle. Like, you can continue to do what you're doing, but you know what you what you got with that. So we know that like that that plan didn't work. Now you have to try the other way and like give me a give me a set amount of time, like give me four weeks and let's see if it changes. And then I did, and it was like dramatically different. And I was like, oh my gosh, like this is it, right? So, and that's the yeah. thing is like in a weird way, and I always say this to the to our students, is that the weirder it feels, the better. Like, you're paying for weird. So, like, if I'm going to see Mike, and it's like, Mike, like, I'm going to get a lesson but for an hour. How much is it? You go, a million dollars, right? And you're like, man, this better feel really weird, right? Because you want weird. Because weird means that the, cha- the habit is changing. So it's almost like the weirder it is, the more booked out it is. Right. And that that's because you're making substantial change. And I love the habit or I love the quote um, is it's so much hard. It's you know, it's it's easy to repeat a bad habit, just like it's easy to repeat a good habit. So we have to train these good habits. Yeah. I mean, the thing about it is, too, is like people, though, think, though, what you're saying is they think a good swing is supposed to feel good. Right. And and good swings do feel good if they're grooved. If that's your normal movement, then they do feel good. But if your if your swing is not good and you're moving into a good golf swing, then that's the weird feeling. I call it getting ugly. Yep. You got to get as ugly yep. as you can imagine, because um, in all of my years teaching, thirty plus thirty something years, um, I've only seen thirteen people overdo anything that I taught them. Yep. Yep. To the point where they came back and it was grooved in 
an exaggerated, you know, maybe they were too far from the inside now and they'd never, you know, they were yeah. over the top. And it just doesn't happen very often because people don't practice getting ugly or feeling weird like you're talking about. Right. They don't, they don't, because they associate that with being wrong. Right. right. And the reality is in golf, if you're going to improve your golf swing, there's three kinds of feedback. There's where the ball goes. There's what the swing feels like. And then there's what the swing looks like. So if we're trying to make our swings better, what's the most important one? Where the ball goes, what it feels like, or what it looks like. And if you ask that question to your students, yep. they're going to get it wrong 99% of the time. And the right answer is what it looks like. Correct. Okay. All that matters is what it looks like. So you got to make the swing look right. And then you learn feel from that look, not the other way around. Right. We always say like, well, there's a lot of different analogies it's with that. Like if you're teaching my daughter, Ren, my youngest, like, well, now she's seven. But when she was three, if we're teaching her to write the letter A. You can do it and like do it with a bunch of words like, hey, draw a two inch line at a 45 degree angle with another two inch line at a 45 degree angle with a one inch line connecting the two 45s. And she's like, I don't even know what you just said. Right. Right. Or you can say, hey, sweetheart, like put it in a trace and trace and don't color outside the lines. Now, if she does that and she makes her trace and her her A looks like this. We go, no, sweetheart, that looks like a scribble. Right. Just like the guy who tomahawks it over the top. So when she does it and she goes, daddy, this feels really, really weird. You go, that's just what an A is, babe. Right. And it's the same idea where if someone's going to do feedback or not feedback. Right. It's always the idea of like going back to the A analogy. Like if you're going to take Ren and you're going to create a piece of paper with the dots on the lines to create the A, if she can't stay inside the lines or trace the dots, then you need to put her pencil inside of a stencil so she can trace the A because she doesn't have enough motor skill and motor pattern to to make her hand trace the dots. So it's like, you know. The only reason, the only way, the only almost excuse that you have to not use feedback in practice is if you have full autonomy over your body and your club face and your swing. Where if you go, yeah, I can make my swing look like Matt Wolf. I can make it look like Matt Kuchar. I can make it look yep. like Zach Johnson. I can close the face, open the face, strong face, weak grip. Like, what do you want? I can zero out my golf swing. Then you go, okay, I can probably do this. But you're still doing, even though you have control of it, you're always validating with camera. Like you and I look how we look on the TV. Like there's, you know, a picture is worth a thousand words, right? So we don't look different than how we look. So even though we feel one way, the picture is, the picture is everything, which. Yeah. So you have to, you have, that's why video is important because yeah. you have to understand what the picture should look like. Yeah. And then you need to conform to that. And to conform to that, you need to use feedback stations that produce it and make it automatic because at the end of the day, um, a motor program in your brain is developed the same way for every motor program that you have from the writing instant that you gave or driving a car or skiing or whatever. So, yeah. and, and at the basic root of that is repetition. Yeah. And so repetition is good if you're doing it the right way or an exaggerated way to where you don't spring back to the old motor program, which is already in your brain. And it's and something that people need to understand is once you have a motor program in the brain, you cannot get rid of it. Right. Right. And you have to build a new motor program. And in the beginning, when you're trying to do something as, as, as a golf swing there, there, the programs are right next to each other, like, like wires like this. And, and so when you go to the golf course, you're going to, the when it's time to hit a shot, your brain says, I'm going to run down the motor program wire that's the strongest. Yep. 
And yep. so, and so you're going to revert back to your old stuff until eventually we can split these wires apart <laughs> and then, then we can derail onto the new wire. And once we can derail onto the new wire, then we're going to be able to do that on the golf course and have a chance of doing it. So, so that's part of the process, but people have to understand that in a simplistic manner, not yep. this complicated jargon. So, and, and that's that- what I- and that example, yeah. exactly as we sign off, was the exact example of what I said at the beginning of the podcast, where you could take something and make it very logical to where you go, that's it. Like, I don't have to search anymore. Like, this is the way, the truth, and the life of how you do it. So, like, Mike, I'm all in, and I'm all yours, right? So, so um, you know, I can't thank you enough, Mike, for everything you've done for me in my life. Everybody in TGR, inside the community, is connected to you by what you have brought to the game of golf. And it is a massive understatement to say that Golf Digest says that you are a legends of golf. I mean, you are like, in my brain, you are the godfather and everything is about, comes back to Mike Bender. So thank you so much for being on this. Um, where can where can all the audience, if you'd like them to come find you, where would be the best way for them to come see Mike Bender, hear more about Mike Bender? Well, Lake Mary, if you look online, our website is MikeBender.com. Our Instagram is MikeBenderGolf. So many um, good tips on that. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, just look us up online and, and it'd be great. Anytime you're in the Orlando area, you got you can come out. And even if you don't take a lesson, come out into our practice facility and hit some golf balls and you, you'll, uh, you'll, you'll find a, a pretty neat environment. Absolutely. All right, Mike. Well, thank you so much, buddy. And uh, thanks for coming on Stockshot Secrets. See ya. Hey, guys, thank you so much for listening to the latest episode of the Stockshot Secrets. Now, I want to give you a special opportunity where you and I can chat individually by just simply texting the following number. And you can ask any question under the sun about anything relative to your game or your skill, body, mind, whatever it is. So just text me at 614-541-1988. That's 614 614- Five four one one nine eight eight. Subscribe to our text line, and then you can be in the special stock shot community where we can talk about everything under the sun regarding stock shots.